0: Well, last week, we rebooted our study in Nehemiah. Uh, we had studied last fall uh, the the series on rebuilding or restoring the broken, and we focused in on the restor- restoration of the wall in Jerusalem. And so, after restoring the broken down wall of Jerusalem, the the restored exiles, those people who had returned from that exile they also needed some restoring they needed some spiritual direction they needed renewal or you might say they needed revival well in our study last week we noted that this process of revival or this process of renewing uh, our spirit begins with hearing and obeying the word of god The people of Judah came together, if you remember, on the first day of the seventh month. We found that in chapter 8, verse 2. And they came together in order to listen to the word that was being read by Ezra the scribe. And part of his reading, if you remember, was concerning the Feast of Booths, or your Bible may call it the Feast of Tabernacles, And that Feast of Booths was supposed to start, according to the law, it was supposed to start on the 15th day of the seventh month. Well, the people realized what was going on. This was just a few days away, and they said, we need to obey. And so they chose to immediately obey. They left, went out into the the hills and the uh, wilderness to gather everything that they needed to be able to build these tabernacles, these booths. Uh, to live in during this feast. They would build these little tent-type things on top of their houses. And so, beginning on the 15th day of the seventh month, they celebrated the Feast of Booths for the first time in centuries. Well, the celebration lasted for seven days, and then it tells us on the eighth day that there was a solemn assembly. Now, this would have been the 22nd day of the month. And in in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, we find that the Bible tells us that on the 24th day of the month, something else happened. So two days after the ending of this feast of booze, we find our story here in chapter 9. And once again, the people have assembled together. If you would, read with me from Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord, their God. The first thing that we see here in Nehemiah chapter 9 is that the people had gathered together and they were fasting wearing sackcloth and sitting with ashes on their heads now if you're unfamiliar with this picture of fasting and uh you know uh, wearing sackcloth and sitting with ashes on your head what you need to understand is that this is the quintessential picture of a person who had humbled himself or herself this was exactly what a Jewish person would do in order to show their state of humility. And so it's also what we find here the first essential element toward confession. This morning we're going to look at this next step of the process of renewal and that is that renewal requires confession. And when we talk about confession, we're talking about confessing sin. So the first essential element is humility. It is not until a person is humbled that they see their need to confess sin. So let's look at our first point here. Confession requires humility. Now, I've shared with you on occasion what well a definition of humility and and when we think about well what is humility a great definition for that is not thinking less of yourself but it's thinking of yourself less i love that definition and that works great when it comes to a leadership concept not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less putting others before yourself It's a great definition, but in this situation, it doesn't necessarily apply. You see, humility in this situation absolutely deals with how we view ourselves and getting an accurate picture of who we are. You see, when we approach Scripture properly, the Bible will show us what is wrong with our lives. Do you believe that? When we approach God's word properly, it will reveal what is wrong with our lives. It will show us the things that need to be fixed, and then it will also help us to see the people that we need to become. In fact, the Bible is a lot like a mirror for our souls. In fact, the The scripture calls itself a mirror on several different occasions. One of those is found uh, in the book of James, and we've talked about that quite often. Uh, We talked about it last week in James chapter 1. But the Bible is like a mirror. One blogger wrote this about that. He said, what is a mirror good for? Well, a mirror shows us the state that we're in. It shows messy hair food in between our teeth, and dirt on our face. This is the negative role of a mirror. It reveals what's wrong with ourselves. He goes on and says, a mirror also has a positive role. It helps us change to become what we ought to be. A mirror is for transformation. The word of God is like a mirror, and the transformation is to make us like Christ. How many of you this morning went through a transformation in front of your mirror? How many of you should go back to your mirror? You know? Um, Yeah, Brother Steve, there's only so much you can do, right? So I understand that and resemble that. But when we think of the Bible as a mirror, it does have both a negative. And a positive role in our lives. You see negatively the Bible points out our sinfulness. It, it shows us in our hearts. I mean the Bible says of itself that, that it pierces us down to the joint and marrow. I mean it's a, it's a two-edged sword that cuts deep and it shows us all the bad things that exist in our lives. But it also has a positive effect in our lives. The Bible will help us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, I mentioned James chapter 1 just a moment ago. Well, in that chapter, the Lord's brother addresses this work of Scripture as a mirror for our lives. We talked about this last week when we talked about The three different prayers that I pray every time before I begin a time of Bible study. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 18 says to open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 tell us to or the psalmist cries out to God and says search me O God and know my heart and see if there's any grievous way that is within me. And so as we pray these things we say, "Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see your word." And then, "Search me, O oh God." But James chapter 1 is that third portion of that pre-bible study prayer that I always use. And that is the the prayer of, Lord, help me to obey your word, not merely hear it. To be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. When we think about these prayers in in relation to God's word as being a mirror, we could pray it something like this. Lord, help me to see the truth of your word that you have for me today. Lord. Lord. Help me to see all the ways that I grieve you. Help me to see myself for who I really am. Help me to see the sin that is existing in my life. And then, Lord, don't let me forget the truths of your word. You know, we read God's word and the Holy Spirit of God Pricks our hearts and we're convicted of things and and we highlight it in our Bible or we highlight it on our Bible app And then we go away and we don't even think about it again That's why the Bible tells us over and over and over again to meditate on the Word of God Think about what's going on in your heart and how God's Word applies to your life each and every day All day long. Meditate. That's why the psalmist wrote, you know, I love Psalm 119. But, you know, we just quoted from verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Verse 11 is a great scripture as well. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You see, when we remember what we've read, when we remember what we've studied, we're more likely to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Now folks, plain and simply, everything that I've just talked about, these prayers of Lord, open my eyes to see your word, open my eyes to see myself, Lord, help me obey, all of that, well, none of it will impact your life. If you have an attitude of pride and self-sufficiency. That's why confession requires humility. It will not impact your life if your life is filled with pride. But with an attitude of humility, then we have the right posture for confession and for repentance. Folks, if your heart is filled with pride, you see no need to confess sin. I'm going to say that again. If your heart is filled with pride, you see no need to confess sin. James chapter 4 describes this dichotomy of pride versus humility. And I wanted to quote from James 4 verse 6, but but I kept reading and I'm like, no, I got I gotta quote all, all that chapter or all that paragraph, James 4, 6 through 10. The Bible tells us, but he gives more grace. Amen. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And then, next part of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Is your mind Guilty of being double-minded? I mean, right now, you're sitting in church, you've got your Bible open in front of you, you're listening to the preacher, and you're trying to focus on what God wants you to do in response to His Word today. And yet, how many extra things are running through our minds? How often do our hands do things that disappoint God and fail him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Isn't that what they did? When they stood up and they listened to the word of God being read to them for the first time in their lifetimes, and they heard what God was saying, Through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and they realize how much they failed to do what God wanted them to be doing. They failed. They they became wretched and mourned and wept. You see, I think the reason we don't confess sin is because it doesn't cause us to grieve. Our sin has become a part of our life. It's become commonplace, acceptable in our sight. It no longer breaks our heart that we're breaking his. He said, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Folks, God promises to forgive us and cleanse us if we will confess our sins to him. And if you're sitting here today and you truly believe that you have no unconfessed sin in your life, then I want to challenge you to pray that prayer from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's that second aspect of prayer that I pray every time I sit down to study my Bible. And it is the prayer that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. You know, those verses kind of go to meddling there. <laughs> Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Did you know that anxious thoughts were sinful thoughts? You so say, Well, I deal with anxiety. I understand. But there is a cure for anxiety. It's not a simple cure. I don't want to be flipping about this. But there is a cure for anxiety. And the cure is faith. Ask the Lord. To test you. To know your anxious thoughts. And point out anything that offends him. Confession requires humility. Humility comes when we see ourselves for who we really are. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that confession recognizes culpability. Now that word culpability, if you're unfamiliar with it, just means that you are responsible for something. You are culpable. You have a responsibility for the things that you do in this life well there's a a few things i want to point out there in in chapter 9 verse 2. first thing is is that they confessed their sins you see they had to recognize that they had missed the mark which is what that word sin refers to it's you're, you're you're aiming an arrow but you're falling short of the mark that has been set up by god The English word sin comes from this idea. A sin might miss the target. It could miss the target by an inch or it could miss the target by 10 feet. Either way, it's sin. You see, we sin when we do what God has told us not to do. Either by telling us in his word or in our conscience or even through legitimate authority, someone in your life, such as your parents, tells you you shouldn't be doing this, you do it anyway. That's sin. But sin also can be when we do not do what God has told us to do. Whether that's in his word, he tells us to do something, or tells us in our conscience, through the Spirit of God speaking to our souls, or through an authority. Not all sin is the same, but all sin is sin. You might miss the mark by an inch, or you might miss it by a mile. Sin is sin is sin. When we sin... We have a responsibility to confess our sins. We have a responsibility to repent or to turn away from our sins and turn to God. In other words, repentance or confession is simply agreeing with God that we were wrong. Why is that so hard? It is though, isn't it? I mean... I say I, I was wrong all the time. I really do. And every time I do it, somebody pulls out their phone and says, Hey, can you say that again? <laughs> Wanting to record me. I'm like, <sighs> Why is it so hard for us to admit that we, were, that we are wrong? You see, when we admit that we are wrong, we're accepting responsibility. For our sins. But the interesting thing here in verse 2 is that they didn't just accept the responsibility for their own sins, but they also recognized that their forefathers had sinned as well. You see, in Jewish culture, uh, in Jewish culture, a great deal of pride came from their ancestry. And that's sometimes true in our culture. If you've ever heard me talk about my family, I love to tell the story of how my family came to Northwest Arkansas 152 years ago. And my great-great-grandpa, I better stop or, you know, I'll tell you sometime later. I'm I'm thankful for my ancestry. I'm thankful for my father, for my grandfather, for my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. I'm thankful for the heritage that they left to our family. But I'll tell you as I told everyone that was sitting listening a week and a half ago as I preached my father's funeral. My dad was a flawed man. I know that because he passed it on to me. True humility helps us to see our father, our mother our grandparents, as the flawed individuals that they are or that they were. That's accepting responsibility. That's accepting culpability for our sins. When we talk about confessing sin, I do think it's important that we uh, distinguish between ongoing repentance from the initial repentance that we experience With salvation. You see, when it comes to eternal culpability for sin or eternal responsibility for sin, we do not have any culpability for our sin once we die if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. You see, Jesus Christ has already paid our sin debt. But repentance is not something. That we are finished with after the point of salvation. It is something that should continue each and every day of our lives as we draw near to God. In fact, repentance is a key factor in drawing near to God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, repentance grows as faith. Grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. No, it is the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. If we want to live a life of faith, if we want to live a life where we are drawing near to God on a regular basis, then we must live a life that includes confession and repentance. Now one last thing to point out before we move on to the next section is that this great, humble gathering of God's people took place only two days ago after the end of the joyful celebration of the Feast of Booths, they had drawn close to God, and now God was drawing them even closer through this repentance. Folks, if you find that in your spiritual journey with Christ, you're giving a great effort, but just can't seem to gain any ground in your spiritual growth, Maybe you should focus some of your quiet time on the discipline of confession and repentance. If you just can't seem to experience that conquering of sin. If you're struggling to overcome certain issues in your life. Maybe you need to focus some of your time each day with the Lord on the discipline of confession you might be amazed at the impact that this will have on your life there's just something powerful about it when you make a commitment to confess your sins to god listen to this this is really key when you make a commitment that i'm going to confess every sin that i do think say I'm going to confess all those sins to God. It causes you to think twice before you commit that sin. I mean, nobody wants to admit they're wrong, right? We've already talked about that. If you make a commitment to confess. It will impact the way that you live. Well, the first thing we notice this morning is that confession requires humility. The second thing is that confession recognizes culpability. The third thing I want us to look at this morning is that confession produces prayer. Now, this last point of our sermon this morning will cover the next 72 verses of the book of Nehemiah. I told Matt a while ago that I am preaching 77 verses this morning. He said, "Uh, do I need to give you a signal at 30 minutes? And I said, nope. I said, maybe 45. Matt, you want to demonstrate the signal? There you go. So so if, if Matt goes crazy up here, you understand why. Now, most of this section is a retelling of events from the history of Israel. Brother David talked about this earlier as he was sharing, and And, you know, you would think I would say, well, David already talked about it. I could skip it, but I'm not going to do that. Um, But he talked about how it was almost a history class. Um, Well, Nehemiah is recounting what happened on the 24th day of the seventh month when all these people assembled. He's recounting what has happened throughout the history of Israel, going all the way back, as David pointed out, to the call of Abram. Out of Ur of the Chaldees. And it goes on and on. And so verse 5 begins a public prayer that I want us to look at. Look at chapter 9, verse 5. It says, Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven. The heaven of heavens. With all their host. The earth and all that is in it. The seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And gave him the name Abraham. Verse 8, all the way through basically the end of chapter 10, continues this prayer. And so what I want us to notice is a very familiar pattern that can be found in this very long prayer prayed by ezra and the levites you see the levites began their prayer in praise for who god is and for what he had done for them as a family that became a nation and we see this beginning as i said in verse five but specifically Verses seven through 15, it gives us that brief history of Israel. But it doesn't just, as Brother David pointed out, it doesn't just say, "And this happened and this happened, and this happened and then this happened." It talks about how God was at work in this people, and how God had done amazing things, and it was focused on praise. To God. You are the Lord, they said. You are God, the creator of all things. They were praising the Lord. It really is easy when we begin a prayer and we want to praise God. It really is easy. To lose focus in this portion of praise. Rather than praising God, oftentimes we end up thanking God for how He blessed us. And the focus then goes away from praising God and praising the good things that happen in our lives. Folks, if you notice um, the word prayer on the screen, It is kind of weird because it's capital P, capital R, capital A, capital Y. This is a model for how to pray. Praise should be the very first thing that we focus on when we pray. When we pray, how should we pray, did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. We're lifting up, praising the name of God. Now there's nothing wrong with prayers of thanksgiving, but we need to learn to praise God for who he is and not feel awkward about it. Praise God for being the creator of all things. Praise God for giving us life. And breath, praise God for giving us his son. And you say, well, well, hold it. Isn't that also thanksgiving? Well, you know what? Praise and thanksgiving are, of course, very similar. I mean, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, for example, uh, the apostle Paul is writing there, and in Ephesians pap- Chapter one, he gives us this list of spiritual blessings that we have because we are in Christ and it is available for all who are in Christ. Now, of course, we're personally thankful for these spiritual blessings, but the difference is we can praise the Lord for choosing to bless all mankind in this way. And then we're not focused on us. You see, the difference between praise and thanksgiving is where's your focus? When you praise, your focus is on God. When you say a prayer of thanksgiving, your focus is on what he's doing in you or for you. And we don't want this portion of a prayer, this section of praise, to be anything about us. So when we pray, we should pray as they did here and start our prayers with praising God. If you struggle to know how to praise God uh, in your prayers, uh, I, would, I would suggest to you that you would consider praying scripture. Um, if you don't know how to pray, use the scripture as your prayer. Psalm 107 is a great prayer. Uh, place to find lots of reasons to praise God. Psalm 150 is another place where it says praise the Lord for all of these different things. And and, uh, another would be Colossians chapter 1. We have the supremacy of Christ found there in Colossians chapter 1. All of these different places are places that we can go to to discover how to praise God. But folks, when we pray... We need to begin with praise. The second part of this prayer of the Levites is found in verses 16 through 31. And this is the portion where they repent. You see the, well let's read verse 16 and 17 and then we'll jump ahead to verse 31. It says, but... All of these things that God has done, they're praising God for all of these things. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, verse 16. They stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and they, and, and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. They stiffen their neck. Do you know what that's a euphemism for? It's being stubborn. Anybody here have a stubborn streak in them? <laughs> Anybody here got a stiff neck or act presumptuously or refuse to obey? You see, all of these things are things that we should also be repenting of for our presumption, for our stubbornness, for our disobedience. And so the Levites are confessing these things. But then, as David pointed out earlier, verse 17 at the end is a beautiful, beautiful passage. It says, but you are a God ready to forgive Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even though they were stubborn, disobedient, stiff-necked people, you did not forsake them. When we take the time to repent. Oh, just a moment. I need... Jump ahead to the end of that section. Verse 31. Nevertheless in your great mercies. You did not make an end of them. Or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When we confess our sins. He will forgive us our sins. He is gracious. He gives us what we do not deserve. He does not give us what we deserve. But blesses us. He extends His grace to us. And when we take the time to discover and disclose all the different ways that we have failed the Lord, we will be continually blessed throughout the process by His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and His steadfast love. Did you notice what I said there? When we take the time to discover and disclose search me o oh god and know my heart and see if there's any sinful way within me we've got to discover and then when he reveals that sinfulness in us then we must disclose to him confess to him lord i'm sorry please forgive me i repent of this attitude I repent of that action of disobedience. I love what 1 John chapter 5 has to say about this whole process of confession. And I've quoted it without telling you I was quoting it. And probably several of you have recognized it as I've gone through this message. But now I want to read this paragraph from 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. I think I said chapter 5 earlier, I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Folks, there is not a person within the sound of my voice that is without sin. Every single one of us is in need of daily repentance. And I just read to you what the Apostle John had to say about those who said, well, I don't have sin. Bull. (laughs) If you say you have no sin, what did it say? You're lying to yourselves. The truth is not in you because every single one of us have sin that needs to be confessed. So when we pray, when they prayed, it began with praise. Then the next section went to repentance. Now, beginning in verse 32, we find a section where they are asking, asking. Let's read verses 32 through 37. Bible goes on and says, now, therefore, it's a great way to know it's a change, Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant with step and steadfast love. Let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold... We are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress Now, in these verses these six verses that I just read the Levites are pouring their hearts out to God they're telling God how desperate their situation has been and they're asking for relief but I want us to notice something interesting about the way they ask you see God knows their situation he's not they're not revealing anything to god are they of course not folks god knows your situation too but watch this he wants you to spend time talking to him about it he knows everything about everyone He knows everything about my life. He knows every situation I'm facing, every difficulty, every frustration, every sin that trips me up. He knows all of that. But he still likes for me to go to him and talk to him about it. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, after he said, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise. The next thing he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, he wanted God's will to be accomplished in them, through them. And then he goes on and he talks about how We should pray for God's provision for our daily needs. Those things that we need to be able to live. And then he tells them to pray for deliverance from evil. These are the things that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6 that we need to pray for. Pray for deliverance from evil. Pray for daily provision. And you know what? Um, you you may say, Well, <laughs> my provision's limited. In fact, I don't know sometimes how I'm gonna buy groceries this week because my, my provision is so limited. Folks, can I tell you? God is faithful to provide. He doesn't say that he will provide annual provision. He says, I'll provide daily provision. Trust me for that. But he also says pray for God's will to be accomplished. You know, we we talked about this not too long ago when we talked about a prayer of indifference and how that we're not praying specifically for something that we want or we should not be praying specifically for something that we want to happen but rather we should be praying for God's will to be accomplished and we are indifferent to anything and everything other than God's will that's what we pray for when we ask when we approach God's throne in prayer we pray for God's will and we must do so with humility And without any sense of entitlement because folks God doesn't owe us anything in fact God uses the difficulties that we face in life to draw us nearer to him and so when we pray just like the Levites here prayed pour your heart out to God tell him but notice never did they say Lord Take us away from all this. Take away all these difficulties. Take away these people that are burdening us. Take, no, they didn't pray that. They prayed asking God to remember the situation they're in and providing them with grace to deal with that situation. Hmm. Well, this last section of the, the prayer that we find begins in verse 38 and goes all the way through the end of chapter 10. Nehemiah 9.38 says, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then verse, or chapter 10 verses 1 through 27 are a whole bunch of names. That I could read, but I'm going to choose to skip over for right now. If you notice, though, the first name on the list, Nehemiah. As the governor at that time, he signed the covenant, the promise that they were going to do. They made a firm promise in writing that they were going to obey the Lord. In verse 28, it says, the rest of the people the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe all... uh, And to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. Our Lord and his rules and his statutes. They made a firm covenant or promise in writing. All the people signed it. All the leaders signed it. And all the other people that had assembled together there were in firm agreement everyone who was able to understand the Word of God that had been read and preached at that time, all of them made an oath to walk in God's law and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord. Folks, this is what it means to yield ourselves in prayer. To give ourselves over. Confession and repentance have very little transformative effect in our lives without this aspect of yielding our will to the will of God. If we don't yield ourselves to God, then our lives will never be transformed. And that's the whole point of God's word. To point out the ways that we're wrong and to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So, folks, if we want to experience revival, if we want that renewal in our spiritual lives, then we must make confession of sin and turning to God or repentance a priority in our spiritual walk. So in your quiet time this week, I want to challenge you. Let the mirror of God's word show you what you need to see for your personal walk, for your spiritual life. Let the mirror of God's word show you the areas of your life that you are in need of repentance. Let it show you the ways in which you need to yield to God's way and to God's will. I want to challenge you this week to experiment using this formula for prayer. To praise, repent, ask, and then yield. And when you begin your time of prayer to God in your your daily quiet time, when you start that time of praise, begin by recognizing God for who He is. Before you do, before you recognize him for what he's done. It's easier to praise God for what he's done. But folks, we've got to learn to praise God for who he is. And when we praise God for who he is, it's it's a natural progression for us to see ourselves in relation to that. When we praise God completely. It brings us to a. Full and complete. Repentance because we see ourselves. In relation. To the one we are praising. I want to encourage you. When you get to this time of repentance. Do not rush. This time. Don't. Don't just say, uh, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And, Lord, now I want to ask you these 88 things that I need to get through this day. You know, blanket prayers of, Lord, forgive us of of how we failed you, are great for public prayer because I don't want to hear your repentance. Don't get me wrong. Uh, don't, Don't start... Unless, unless I'm your accountability partner, please don't start confessing your prayer in public prayer. It's not the purpose. But when you're alone with God, He wants you to acknowledge the ways you have failed Him. So don't rush this time. And if, you're, if you've not been practicing regular times of repentance... It may take you some time. Um, You may run out of time. And you say well all I got done was praise and repentance. Well praise the Lord. Tomorrow start again with praise and repentance. And maybe by day 18 you can get to the part where you ask. But we need to confess our sins to the Lord. Keep praying that prayer of psalm 139 23 search me O god know my heart see if there is a grievous way within me and every time you pray that prayer the holy spirit of god will convict you of something you need to repent and when you can pray that prayer and sit there and nothing else comes up then guess what You're done with repentance for that moment. Because you're going to need to do it again. Don't rush it. And then when you continue and you ask. This is where most of us focus our time of prayer. Ask that God's will be accomplished in you. And ask that God's will be accomplished through you. And then yield your mind, your body, your spirit, your desires to God. For his honor. And for his glory. That's the way that they showed us that they prayed. Here in Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10. It's a a great example for us to follow. That we praise, repent, we ask, and then we yield our lives to him. I pray, I challenge you, I pray you'll do that this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gracious love, steadfast love, mercy, your forgiveness. God, we do fail you regularly. and Lord, I just ask now as we take this next moment of time to sing a song. Lord, I I, I pray that we will reflect on what you're saying to us. Lord, I pray that we will reflect on how we have failed you. And Lord, I just pray that we will confess our sins and turn to you and turn away from those things. Lord, help us to know your will and follow your will, yielding our lives to you completely, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the death on the cross that provides the forgiveness for sins. And Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen.